Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. And the Jets and Dolphins up in New Jersey are playing the first ever Black Friday game. Yes, that that is intriguing. Um, Except I, for the parking at the stadium because it coexists with that mall. No, that's going to be absurd. Well, I mean, yeah, the parking for MetLife is absurd anyway, because unless you have the parking pass, you're doing satellite parking and taking a bus. Brutal. Fun in any event. But yeah, American Dream is right there. That is not one of the things, stuff we love. You know, what else is going to have a lot of parking issues? The public listening party of this episode of the Stuff We Love podcast. And with that, welcome to a new episode of the Stuff We Love podcast. I am joined, by the way, I'm Scott. Our listeners should know that. Um, if you don't, please unsubscribe. <laughs> but no, no. Uh, I am joined tonight by two wonderful friends. I haven't been on with them in a long time, and it's great to be back with these guys. I don't even know where to start. I guess I'll go in alphabetical order. So we got Dean. Dean, welcome to the show. I, I think Paul comes first. Not with D and P. Yes, I was going by first name. Oh, okay. Then I will uh, say hello and uh, thank you for uh, acknowledging us alphabetically by first name. Thank you. And <laughs> Paul, welcome to the show. How you doing, Paul? Thank you. I'm doing well. I can't complain. It's Wednesday. I'm day into night drinking, so not not a problem. What are you drinking? Uh, currently, I have a um, very nice Mount Gay rum with Coke Zero. Okay. And, um, so that's nice. And then afterwards, I'm going to have a peanut butter uh, whiskey in coffee to level me off. Dean, are you having anything this evening? No, but that is a that is a nod to our good friend Nick with the uh, peanut butter whiskey. I... Yes, it is. I've never had peanut butter whiskey. I had a very good ice cream flavor, uh, chocolate. No, 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 it's peanut butter, chocolate pretzel. That sounds like a winner. Sounds good. It was very good. You've had peanut butter before, right? Me? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I've had peanut butter. And you've had whiskey? Uh, Yes, I've had whiskey. Just pretend you had them at the same time. There you go. Pretty much essentially, yeah. I mean, and the version that I have again, it's in it's in coffee. It's in a caramel flavored coffee, so this should be interesting. But um, yeah, the peanut butter whiskey is much more of a peanut butter on aftertaste. Not a bad, like not like fake peanut butter candy. Like it's not that flavoring, but right. it's very much, yeah. But yeah, um, Nick would enjoy this concoction. Let me ask you guys something as a fun question to start the episode. Speaking of coffee, and we're going to be talking about Disney World tonight. If you were in Disney World and someone said to you, you can only have one coffee the entire stay of your trip. But you can have any type of coffee you want from any location. Where are you going? I think Dean and I might have the same answer. I have two answers, and I think one of them is your answer. But I'll let you go first. It's the French press at the Kona Cafe. Okay. It, it is. It is. That is that is probably the best coffee on property, unless you are fortunate enough to go and have the the gravity-drawn uh, pot at Victorian Alberts, uh, the way they have that special. I think it's a German uh, technology brew. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it was the show, but that coffee was amazing. Right. Never might, had that. But well, might I know what you're talking ambience. about. Yeah. I mean, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Might have been the show. Might have been the ambiance. Might have been just. I mean, you're Victorian Alberts, so it's well, yeah. phenomenal. The six glasses of wine before that didn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw a video where someone said, "I'm going to get the best coffee at Walt Disney World," and they went to the um, coffee place at Riviera Hotel. It's a decent choice. I like the cinnamon cold brew there. It's excellent. Um, and again, has some good coffees. 
Nick and Essentia. Oh God, sorry. The Gideon's has good coffee sometimes. They're uh, they're they're fancy little cold brews that they do monthly. That's what I was going to mention. Nick and Abstentia would tell you that the peanut butter cold brew, again, peanut butter at Gideon's was worth the wait. Mm-hmm. It was. It was good. You got to try that next time. Now, guys, no, Paul's give me a look. I saw the line. I mean, yeah. I I don't go to Walt Disney World enough to justify spending an hour standing for coffee or cookies. Well, what if you do a genie plus lightning lane minus zero plus eight? <laughs> what, if I, what if I pay Dean to stand in line for me? If they're doing the virtual queue, it's not bad. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and, and not for nothing. I mean, we, our home resort, we've said it on this show before, is Saratoga Springs. So I do have home court advantage. I can saunter over an hour and a half before because it's like, well, all right, I can either look at Twitter in my hotel room or I can look at Twitter while I'm standing in line. Well, let me ask you a question. It wasn't too long ago you gave an amazing trip report here on the podcast. And as a follow-up to that, that was your first trip to Disney in a little while. When you think about going back, do your thoughts drift to the hotel, the dining, Disney Springs, the parks? What do you miss the most now? What I would honestly, when I think back to my trip and you're right, we had not been since 2017. So 2017 to 2023, my first thought is I need to spend at least another five to six hours in galaxy's edge. Okay. That is, that is the number one thing that I met. And I got to do quote unquote, all of the things in galaxy's edge. We did do Oga's cantina. We did do the money. I did the Millennium Falcon. I did Rise of the Resistance. It was broken down, but not enough to get us off of it. Um, I did have a Ronto roaster, and I did see characters walking around. But, I mean, just to be in that environment, um, that's probably the number one thing that would be on my list to make sure that I do. And I had an opportunity to just kind of hang out, have the blue milk. That was one of the other things that I did. Um, in the shadow of the Millennium Falcon. And I mean, you know, 40-year-old me um, sitting, I mean, that's, that's a that's a childhood dream come true. I mean, sure. just to walk around there and be in that environment. Um, so I, I would say that would be probably the number one thing. Number two is seeing Tron because oh. I'm a fan of Tron. I've been a big fan of Tron. Now that the Tron light cycle run is open, going over to that and experiencing that, um, in a way that is much more directly Tron than Tron track test track 2.0. Uh, right. uh, you know, it, it, yeah. I mean, probably those, those two things, um, the results that, you know, the food, that type of stuff. I mean, I've gotten that from other locations. I mean, I've been on here talking about our trips to Hilton head and, you know, experiencing the Disney resorts outside of Walt Disney world. Um, but yeah, I mean, that would, that would probably, that would probably be the number one thing. Dean, are you most looking forward to trying the Tron attraction? No, I'm most looking forward to, uh, to friends that'll be, uh, there during my next trip. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, no, the tr- Tron will be exciting. Haven't done that yet. Um, we, we did get annual passes, so I am really looking forward to the, the AP flex, uh, the AP discount and trying to justify the expenditure of the cost of that darn ticket you gotta do two trips you gotta do two well, trips. The, we, we, and that that's the reason i did it we have a, a trip in august and we had already booked for thanksgiving week 
So um, when you add up, you know, the cost of two five or six day passes, you get really close to the cost of the AP anyway. Right. So we we dove in. Um, and I'm great. Sure, sorry, I'm sure that'll justify a third trip before next August. <laughs> you know, it would be a great episode topic we should look to do. Speaking of Thanksgiving, we get to choose a dish from like four or five Disney restaurants on property to create the perfect Thanksgiving meal. What do we choose? See, that's tough because I'm going to Boma. I'm doing completely the opposite. I am getting the African fusion buffet, which is absolutely not Thanksgiving. But to me, that that to, that to me would be a great atmosphere of the spirit of Thanksgiving, not so much the traditional foods of Thanksgiving. Well, yeah. Paul, you just made me realize I don't think that episode could be that long. I think I think you just <laughs> summed up your whole appearance on that show, so. right? Well, I mean, I, I get I could make something else up, but yeah, I mean that that's that that to me having um it would be great to have family and friends around. So it is the tr- the true spirit of Thanksgiving, and Boma has kind of that ambiance anyway of you know everybody is re- everybody's family when you're there. Not not to go over to Universal and be um you know Fast and Furious. Sure. Um, or I thought, Olive Garden. I thought you were skipping to Ohana instead. Ohana? Yeah, that, that, that's a little on the nose, but uh, yes. Well, you said everyone's family. So. Right. You know what's funny? It's Olive Garden. I, I just got an image in my mind of like a couple listening to the Stuff We Love podcast, if that was the episode. And then they hear me say, oh, I would start my meal with rolls from the boathouse. And then just saying, I'm not wasting my time listening to this again. How many times are you going to talk about this? He's going to get, yeah, he's going to get rolls from the boathouse and he's going to get the, uh, let's see, what would Scott say? He's going to get the shrimp cocktail <laughs> That's from right. the boathouse. No, so we're going to have to limit him to one item per restaurant. Yeah. You have to do so, and no and no duplicates from any of us. So yeah. if you, oh, okay. still, you got to think of something else, next would, meal would be amazing. I, I, I really do don't know fun. what he would say. That'd be fun. Yeah. It would be it would be a progressive dinner, right? I mean, this, sure. this is like it would take four or five hours to get all of this done. Most of my dinners in Disney World do, so it's uh, it'd be on the nose. So, guys, I, I wanted to Liberty Inn. What's that, Dean? You just go to the Liberty Inn. You can. It's a very popular spot for Thanksgiving, obviously. And I can I tell you, we have done that as our uh, we used to go quite often when Grapes was a toddler um, and we would do the later Halloween parties or even Halloween party on Halloween. But going into November and we would start the Thanksgiving season, quote unquote, with a meal. Our last sit down dinner was at Liberty Tree Tavern. And it was exa- it was exactly that. It's Stouffer's, whatever. I don't care. It's great. Um, and the characters are in care in costume of that, you know, the uh, uh, colonial period, Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, Donald and Chippendale, I think mm-hmm. all correctly. Yeah, that's just fun. Now, guys, with that being said, what I wanted to talk with you both about tonight on this episode is a whole bunch of recent Walt Disney World news. There's there's been so much, and it's tough to really decide what you're gonna, you know, what we're gonna talk about tonight. Uh, but since Bob Iger returned as CEO, there's been many announcements, and I thought since we haven't talked Disney in a while, we would just get together and share our reaction to some of the recent news. And I thought maybe the biggest news story to begin with would be the announcement that the Galactic Star Cruiser will be closing in a couple of months this uh, as i'm sure most of our listeners know is the star wars themed let's call it a resort experience i think that's probably the best resort role-playing experience and 
I don't need, I, I'll turn it over to you guys. What was your reaction when you heard the news? Were you surprised? I was, I'll just tell you, I was not surprised. The resort is very expensive, uh, thousands of dollars for a couple of nights. And I, despite the large number of Star Wars fans out there, I just was nervous it was not going to succeed. And um, what's your thoughts, Paul? I think Paul, I think Paul needs a moment. Yeah, Paul's emotional. Paul, I know you were very excited for this and are disappointed with the announcement of the closure. And I have thoughts. So, Dean, I don't know if you want to go first, and then I'm going to rant. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I I think I'm not surprised that it's closing. I think I'm surprised at the way it's closing. Um, I, I kind of thought that this hotel or this, this experience had a chance of Roll out early, get sort of the, you know, FOMO people, the super fan, you know, full price. I thought we'd start to see discounts and start to see opportunities where maybe it got coupled with a a Disney resort stay or something like that, where you'd start to get, they continue to fill the resort, but do it in a way that uh, acknowledges that it's a bridge into a longer vacation. Uh, The price point was always exorbitant. Uh, I wanted to do this, but I, I was not going to do this at the, the theater, which it was. And the fact that they're kind of just shuttering, they have existing reservations beyond that end of September close date. And they're trying to recalibrate those people to see if they want to come early. So that tells me that while it wasn't super, super popular and there there was currently you know plenty of availability if you wanted to book short term, it was still selling. Um, so it is a little surprising to me that it's closing so quickly. I'm really curious what the facility will be post-close. Good but question. Paul, Paul, you want to rant first? Yeah, let's hear Paul's I rant. I do. So I was very excited from this. Again, like I said about being in the shadow of Millennium Falcon, I mean, the Star Wars was the first movie I saw in my life, the first Star Wars in 1977. So I have a very strong um personal history with star wars in general i am not one of those people that's the original trilogy fan base that kind of thing so when they talked about was it three years ago when they announced it that it was going to be this role-playing you are in the star wars universe for three days two nights all essentially all-inclusive cruise on land special excursion to batu and all of this stuff and i was fully on board um, it was one of the things that if she listens to this episode, unfortunately, I can't do this for her, I was going to do this as my daughter's graduation present with her. Um, that we would go next June after she graduates. Um, my in-laws now live in Florida, so we'd have kind of a home base from that. Um, and then we'd have a regular, quote unquote, regular Disney vacation with my wife at Saratoga Springs, like I mentioned. But we would do the two days, three nights, and it would be all star wars i had an outfit picked out i was planning on doing the lightsaber experience at savvy's workshop um you know and it it was it was going to be i fully immersed in this thing to dean's point not surprised that it's closing am surprised it's closing and from what i hear no plans to do anything with it in the near term um what I have also read is the reason for the timing is the contracts were up with the cast members and the cast members for this experience are not your quote unquote day-to-day regular cast members. They're equity performers. They are essentially the same 
level of cast member as the Festival of the Lion King performers or someone that's on Finding Nemo the musical. But if you think about the work that needs to go into these cast members to do role playing for two days on stage, know the guests, learn their names, learn their stories, recognize them, and then on day three, do a reset. And then a whole new group of 100 rooms comes in and they got to do it again. I mean, that that right there, I believe, is the bulk of the cost, the expense, but also the experience um, from people that have gone on the Star Cruiser. And I'm not talking about the people that did like the media excursions. Um, I know several people that went a couple times um, just to do choose different things. Yes, it's role playing. Yes, it can get to be, quote unquote, the same, but not for nothing. How many of us have ridden the same attraction? 20 times, 30 times, 50 times. I can't tell you how many times I've ridden the old uh, great movie ride. That experience is exactly the same every single time. You know, you get the Western scene, you get the, you know, you get the cowboy or not the cowboy scene. You get the gangster scene after a certain point in that they stopped showing one of them. They only showed the gangster scene. It, it, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't buy the, it's non-repeatable. Yes, the cost of exorbitant, but again, you're paying for three days worth of live action role playing where you were immersed in that story. There are people complaining that the resort didn't have a pool. Mm-hmm. You're on a ship in space. I've never seen a pool in like, Star Wars. That's the, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, you could do what? You're Luke in a back to tank? Like, you know, come on. I mean, it, the, the criticisms to me from, again, Diz Twitter, that's not the audience that was targeted for this. And I feel that one of Disney's massive failings is they saw people that were buying replica props that were members of the 501st Legion that are buying movie accurate stormtrooper armor for three thousand four thousand dollars that are buying um you know film pieces for a thousand dollars each like look at all the money in these star wars fans you know they're buying helmets for eight hundred dollars a piece and they have 15 of them it's like this is this is our target market i feel like they didn't market to them i feel like they marketed star cruiser to people that go to walt disney world that want to do an add-on that it's almost like it was treated from a marketing perspective, like the after dark tours at animal kingdom or like the, um, you know, Oh, you've been to Walt Disney world a bunch of times. Why don't you do one of the behind the scenes tours for $399 a person? It's like, okay, well that's expensive, but it's an eight hour tour. So you could break it down. I mean, Dean and I have done that several times where we break it down by component to see, is it worth it for what you get out of it? And, you know, if you figure if this experience was like going to the hoop to do review four times and going to, you know, and it included a ticket to Disney's Hollywood Studios. So $140 for that. And it included a um, Genie Plus reservation for both Rise of the Resistance and Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. How much is that worth? You start to check it down. Yes, you're still paying a premium. I, th- I think I worked out the math. It's still like $900 more per person. 
That's then, the premium so, in your calculation. Yeah, $900, and, and, right. So it's like, is $900 worth it for you for two nights, three days, but like the last day is check out and you just kind of leave. You know, it's kind of like when you go on a regular cruise and it's, oh, it's a five day cruise. No, it's not. It is not. It is a three and a half day cruise. It's from whatever time you can get on board and the last day you're getting off. You get breakfast and you leave. I mean, there's there's no gone by eight eight thirty at the latest. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, if you're an early riser like me, you're getting three hours of ship time and nothing is available to you. You're not going in the pool. You are not hanging out in a restaurant. You're getting something to eat and you're leaving. And that's kind of what it was for Star Cruiser. So yeah, go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm disappointed it's closing. I I do think it was a great idea. I think it was a stretch goal, you know, not to put it in business terms. And I think the opportunity is there for that type of experience. I just think that they're, I don't know what metric it was, but I think that the internal profit margin was set too high for it, that they needed to make 20%, 20, I'm making up a number, 20% profit, 30% profit, 15% profit. It was, I think it was just too much. It didn't help that it came out announced like at the beginning of COVID open during, you know, towards the tail end of COVID and the word of mouth was not great. The people that went loved it, but again, you know, the first, the media previews, those are people that are hosted. They're paid to go experience it from the people that paid for their own way. They also loved it. It's one of those things, Dean, you mentioned earlier today, going to Victorian Alberts for a lot of people is unattainable. But people that go to Victorian Alberts will tell you is worth every penny that you spend, whether you're sitting in the quote unquote regular dining room or you're doing the chef's table experience. And that's yeah. something I have yet to do. An experience like that, that is premium. It's expensive. It's intended to be expensive in some ways. And this sounds very entitled but in some ways for people it's a thrill to spend that kind of money it's a little bit of a brag to say i spent five thousand dollars for 43 hours on the star cruiser there's a reason people go honeymoon in hawaii and tahiti and you know exotic places because it's your honeymoon yeah you know i mean that's your time to spend that time so like i said i was going to do it for my daughter as a graduation present special occasion it's something she and I would experience. My wife has no interest. She had no interest. She From the time, she's like, mm, you, that's something you can do. <laughs> yeah. Well, your point is an interesting one. And when you when you speak about it, I guess you're right. I don't remember the Galactic Star Cruiser ever really being marketed to the Star Wars convention folks. You know, the people you see at that yearly convention that was just held in Europe a couple of months ago. Yeah. I really felt they were catering more to the Disney fan and, and not their audience. Disney fans are not I mean, Disney fans right. are us. They're people who have annual passes. They might go multiple times a year or, you know, due to circumstances once every other year or every three years. But we tend to do, I'm not going to say the same things, but we, you know, we know what we like. I enjoy going multiple times to Tiffin's. Right. There's a lot of people that will never go to Tiffin's because they go to Nomad Lounge. I've never been to Nomad Lounge because, and they're right next to each other. But I like the Tiffin's experience. And a lot of people, you know, like Dean has said before on this show, it's a sticker shock when you see it. But the service is impeccable. The 
ambiance is impeccable. The food is impeccable. It's just that's what I want out of my Animal Kingdom day. Mm-hmm. There are people that are like, give me pizza, pizza fari. I'm good. Do you think the Galactic Star Cruiser now is possibly going to become a place where people can pay $600, $700 per person for a role-playing experience that lasts one day? And well, that, I, As I'm asking that, I'm pulling myself back from that because there, you have all these rooms. I, I mean, I wonder if it'll be a Star Wars-themed hotel. That's what I think everybody was saying the other day. And that just seems like a real admittance of failure on Disney's part to keep it that way. But then again, what else are they going to do with the space? It would take some renovation to turn that into a hotel. And the question now is, is there going to be any effort or desire to put in capital deployment to make that into a hotel? Yeah. That's tough yeah. on the answer. I would think right now the answer to that is no. Yeah. And again, I like, I'm, I'm going to refer back to the people that have actually experienced it when they tell you that the biggest immersion part is not the sets. It's not the scenes, it's not the screens, it's not the sounds, it's the cast members. Without the cast members, you don't have that experience. And when you go to a themed resort, the cast members are not in character. You know, like right. you, go, you go to Boardwalk and yes, I can feel like I'm in the turn of the century, last century, New Jersey Boardwalk, but those cast members are not in character. Mm-hmm. Sure. Doing Star Wars, seeing people in character, in costume, as aliens, as a nightclub lounge. I mean, how I personally, in my own armchair at home Imagineering, what I would do with the space, Bob Iger, give me a call, is I would make a themed people mover track out of that spot that they used to have the shuttle truck that would take you to Batuu. Make a transport to the Star Cruiser. You could still be the Chandrilla line. You could tell the whole thing. But the ship is in dry dock for retrofit for whatever reason. You know, make the story. And you can go aboard for a few hours and depending on the time of day, you can have a meal, you can sit at the bar, or you can enjoy the dinner show. And I think that could be a single, you get maybe three price points for that. Right. And it's a timed entry thing. You go, your group goes, whether it be 100 people, 200 people, whatever it is, and then they leave. And then the next group goes. Sure. That's an interesting idea. I like that idea. And you sell it that way, but to Dean's point, the rooms are unused. Right. You're only using the common spaces. You can book the, you know, and again, spoiler alert for people that, you know, it's going away anyway. So unless you go by December 28th, you're going to miss out. But, you know, you can book a lightsaber training. You can book a bridge cruise training. You can book a engineer thing. It won't have the full show elements, but at least that way. I think it becomes accessible to the quote unquote Disney fan because there's multiple price points and you can pick and choose what you want to pay for. You know, like I was saying, if you're not going to pay for Tiffins, maybe you want to go to Nomad Lounge. If you just want to go experience the, the space and have a drink at the bar, that might be worth $35 to $50. 
How about a Star Wars themed, sort of like you see these murder mystery dinners, something along those lines that takes well, you to the that, other and, and that to me would be like that hoopty doo experience. Right. That, that to me would be, I'm paying for the seven o'clock candlelight processional dinner and I get my special seating. So that that's, that's exactly it. They would have some price point per person where you would get in the main dining room, you'd be able to get the full Star Wars show um, and the lounge singer and all of that stuff. And that, that at least can maybe still pay those, those specialized cast members. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, that, that's what I would do again. That's a capital improvement. That's on top of what they would need to do because they would need to build that people mover track. I don't think that's sustainable using the transportation trucks that they were using. I don't, I just don't think that would work, but it's going to use what? Five percent of the space, ten percent of the space. I mean, um, I mean, it would use all of the space except the guest rooms. <clears throat> I can imagine the guest rooms are a pretty material part of that building, right? So if you're if you're <laughs> we get into uh, cost benefit analysis um, stuff, we love, but um, and yeah, I don't mean to get businessy on you. I'm just thinking yeah. about yeah, yeah, some people love that, but, some cost, but, but they don't that point, you will not have housekeeping staff. You would not have to clean those rooms. Those rooms would be sealed off. Um, you would not have the laundry service facilities needed. You would need the kitchen staff. You would need the on the on stage staff. Bridge crew would be minimal. You know, you would need to staff the lightsaber exhibit all day. Um, you maybe could, you know, getting into operations, you could cross train cast members so that maybe they are quote unquote regular cast members that are manning the bridge for three hours and then they move to another station you know not unlike what they do in um different areas within the theme parks particularly magic kingdom where they might be working load unload and then they move over to another segment that's a sad outcome for where it is when this thing launched it is. i want a uh, question for you guys um without I, I will not get political but Needless to say, it's obviously a charged political environment right now between Disney and the state of Florida. Do you think Disney is going to be hesitant to invest any meaningful capital in the short term in Florida and let the Galactic Star Cruiser sit there unused and unchanged for possibly years before they do anything with it? Because when I think about stuff coming to Walt Disney World, there's not that much on the horizon now that Tron has opened, Guardians has opened. And I think just past its one year anniversary, or this is right around the one year anniversary, there's not much happening there by way of new stuff. And I wonder if they're going to be hesitant to invest anything in light of the political environment. You're forgetting Epcot is going to get finished. I do forget that. That's a good point. And I am excited for that Moana water attraction, by the way. I think that's going to be awesome. Yeah. I mean, they, they still got another f- at least six months to a year. Right. Uh, but I guess that was already in motion for a no, while now. Totally, but but it's not like nothing is going to be opening for the next True. year. True. Do you think they might be hesitant to invest new capital in the short term? I think, uh, you know, I think it's possible, but they're, they're not going to spite themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's already talks about what's going on with Dinoland. Is that becoming a different theme? Is that Zootopia on the horizon? You know, it's... Uh, all it takes is one announcement like that and say, okay, yeah, they're still investing. They're moving forward. They're going to build. They're going to grow. I don't think you're getting a fifth gate anytime soon. No. 
Nor should they, honestly, because I mean, you gotta, you have to make whole the parks that exist. And one of the thing, one of the biggest pieces of feedback that I had, and I think Amy said this on the show, Disney Hollywood Studios is becoming nearly impossible to do in a day, not because it's big, but because the attractions are so popular that even with Genie Plus. If you were to pay for everything, individual lightning lanes, Genie Plus, all that stuff, you can't do all of the e-tickets that are there. Right. Um, I had done, again, you know, it was one of those things. If you could spend, I believe there are $17 billion earmarked for Walt Disney World for the next 10 years. And it's how would you spend it in Walt Disney World? I think Disney as a company and the Disney Parks, Resorts and Experiences division also takes a long view. Politically charged atmospheres can change. The current governor's term is up in two years, regardless of what happens. There are things they want to put in motion that, you know, if you ask me, I'm investing in things that are helping the guest experience. I'm helping, I'm going to expand the Skyliner to the Animal Kingdom area. I'm going to make that available and and just alleviate some of the bus issues. So um, the, taking that point right there, where would you move it to? Animal Kingdom Lodge and Coronado Springs? Um, I would actually make a new station that is kind of an in-between. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I would put it at the bus loop of Animal Kingdom. Yeah. Because I believe the parking lot for Animal Kingdom, other than Epcot, is one of the most empty spaces on property. Vast and intimidating is what I would use to describe. Really, and, and I've parked in like Zebra 15 or whatever the heck it is <laughs> out, way out there. But, but, but again, that was a trip that we took in August. So, you know, it, it, it it's a, it's a summer trip. I, I, I think that they could build the infrastructure there for a Skyliner station and have it go, you know, I like the way that they have that kind of central station at um, Caribbean's, Caribbean Beach. Right. Have room there to build another line. Just from what I saw, just from my one experience there. So you have Caribbean Beach as that kind of that that hub. And Caribbean Beach is such a central location in any event. Continue to have that. Have a spur line go over to Animal Kingdom. Um, anything I know that... who needs to be connected to that is All Star. Yes, just from a headcount perspective, it's, if you're going to put that well, kind of money out there, and that's like, why wouldn't you serve the deluxe resorts? The deluxe resorts are relatively speaking small. They are. You need to serve All Star. So one of the things that made Art of Animation a lot more attractive now is that dedicated Skyliner line. Yeah. So if you have a Skyliner line going from what's the first one, All Star Music, or I guess that would be in the middle. Um, Because it's sports, music, and then movies if you're going from um, the main road. So if you had a station, All-Star Music, that goes to Animal Kingdom, you had an Animal Kingdom station that goes to Caribbean Beach, you can get to Epcot via two transfers. That's fantastic. And no one's saying it has to be super efficient. I think two transfers is what you'd expect there. Yeah. But, but no traffic, but no, there's no delay. There's no right. traffic jams. There's no waiting for a light to change. And if someone has an ECV, they pull a car to the side. Like it, it's not, 
I, I, I truly think Skyliner is one of those things that you can't do it everywhere. And a lot of people are saying, oh, invest in the monorail. I, the monorail takes so much more infrastructure from a station standpoint. Sure. Than, I mean, it'd be great. I mean, it looks fantastic. But I, th- I think the Skyliner is a better is a better option for that. I so, think it may be even more efficient if you ran the numbers from a transport perspective. I don't doubt it. I mean, t- exactly like I said, if you've got, let's say, 15 ECVs that need to load onto a monorail, it can handle it. But you've got to get a cast member to roll the ramp over and there's only like two ramps. Right. So you got a guest waiting. 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 Meanwhile, for a Skyliner... Party three, get on. Party five, get on. Party two, get on. <laughs> Just go. The problem you run into with Skyliner going to Animal Kingdom is you could end up in a giraffic jam. Nice. Is that my cue to stop the show? <laughs> Not at all. These are the jokes, Scott. You're going to have to live with them. Let me ask you guys a question here. What is your, if you had to take a guess, take a guess, not take a guess, take a guess, G U E S S. Take a guess. Take a guess. Look, are you guys okay? Is that too much? I, I mean, did we look frozen? I was just waiting. I'm, I'm waiting for you to finish your your take a guess on. That's a Taylor song. You don't know. You don't know that song it's from Folklore Deluxe Edition. I do. All right, here we go. Did I'm I gonna... tell you? I I think I shared it with you. I have a Folklore Ever Evermore Midnight's playlist. It's Ooh. just songs from that. That you chose? You chose your favorite tracks from the album? Let me ask you a question, Paul. This is a great segue to a total... I'm going to include this in the episode, but just out of curiosity, what do you think of the song Exile from Folklore? That is my favorite song of Taylor Swift's. Wow. Totally. Well, well, well. And and Podcast gold has just been struck. And it has to be because these are two people... Going going into Taylor Swiftum, and I yes I am a Swifty, but only recently this is yes. something I've discovered. I mean I like songs from hers, you know, since she's since she's been um, popular. That's fine. Her productivity and her creativity from COVID, from the Long Pond sessions, and all of the work that she put into folklore, and then Evermore, and now Midnight. Yeah, is is phenomenal i mean just the creativity and the the songwriting has come out has been great yes song speaks to two people that have 100 percent correct opinions they are not for each other because they their perspectives yes they have a point but they're wrong each of them are wrong but both of them are right at the same time it's like in their own mind yes you're right but no, you're wrong. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. it's 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 hard to it's hard to say. But yes, I love Exile. It's a great track. I love the way they sound on that song. Their voices blend together so well. Yes, it's a dramatic song too. Yes, yeah. My my uh, yeah. My playlist is called Evermore Folklore at Midnight. <laughs> That's good. It works. I will share it with you right now. And if anybody Please. wants me to share it with them, hit me up on Twitter. Yo, Polly and Jay. Okay, one more Taylor question before I get to my next Disney World question. Um, on Midnight's, what song do you like more, Bejeweled or Karma? I, I asked my friend Joe this question. 
we I said one thing, he said another. I'm curious what your answer would be. It depends on the mood I'm in. If I'm in like a jovial mood, it's got to be Bejeweled. Okay. Um, what's funny is Revenge is probably my favorite song on that. But Karma of those. Wait, two, wait, wait. You mean Vigilante S word? Or Vigilante? Yes, yes, yes. I, I like the way <laughs> I still can't say it. No, well, it's show. Show. I would say it on my show, and I believe it out. But yeah, um, I like Karma more. Joe like Bejeweled more. They're both great. They're they are. I mean, Bejeweled is so Bejeweled is like um, it's like playing um, Mario on Super NES. It's very. It's like playing Bejeweled on your phone. And well, there's that. It's a lot more. <laughs> I'm trying to absorb this statement. What does he mean? <laughs> it's like playing Mario on NES. All right, so it's his happiness. That's bejeweled. Karma is not. All right, this is great. Now back to the Disney World show. Um, I want to ask you guys something. What is your guess as to how the summer 2023 crowds are going to be? Because I think there's this anticipation out there that they're not going to be strong as evidenced by the levels of these discounts. Now, one thing I would say is that Disney always has discounts available this time of year for certain categories of guests. Disney Visa card holders, Disney annual pass holders. That's not new. Um, what's your take, Paul, Dean? Who wants to go first? I talk too much. Dean, go ahead. I think there will be swells of crowds around the 4th of July, like there always are. I think there'll be sustained crowds through the month of June, like there always are. And I think Disney puts out these discounts to get people in the parks. And I think you can expect typical crowds. Uh, there was definitely a, a bump last year just because of sort of you know travel pent up demand. But Disney has done this for decades. They will add discounts. They will modify discounts. They will selectively put discounts at particular resorts that have low occupancy to boost them. Uh, the fact that you're seeing discounts tells me that they're probably not at the levels they want them to be, but that's why there's discounts. So at the end of the day, they're happy to get money in the door for hotels, but they're more happy that they get people in the door to spend money at the restaurants and the parks and the souvenirs and everything else. So I don't think we're going to have a ghost town there come August. I think it'll be typical lower august crowds lower than july but not recordly low mm -hmm. understood paul how about you yeah i mean i'll agree i'll, I'll just add in that you know and going back to business cast um you know <laughs> there are levers that they pull um when they want to you know make their numbers where they want to be i think that there are people i still think there's a pent-up demand for travel um, that has not been satiated from, you know, coming out of COVID. I think where it's going to feel crowded is, again, due to the fact of virtual queues and, and Genie that is going to make it feel more crowded because people are not in a queue. So while let's just say that, you know, Epcot has a capacity of 80,000 people, it's going to feel like there's 120,000 people because the people that are in the virtual queue for Ratatouille um, and they're wandering around world showcase instead. So I, I think that from, you know, the, the Uber fans like us, it's going to feel like it's more crowded than it actually is because people are not standing in a queue. Um, and I don't think that's going away anytime soon. No, 
But to your point, I think that the Disney visa discounts, the 30% off, um, you know, they might even, you know, like they said, dining plan might be coming back. Free dining is when you know that they're serious, that they need to get people in. Um, because where free dining really helps people is, and again, most, most visitors to Walt Disney World are first timers. Um, we as multiple returnees like to think, oh, everybody's been here before. No, it's, it's not that way. Um, free dining really gets people, let's say it's the 2.5 kids. Some of them eat more than others, but to have free dining makes it way more accessible because you're paying for park tickets and you're paying for a room and you're not paying for meals really well in in free dining makes it a lot easier to budget free dining yes. gives you a little bit more cost certainty on your overall experience if you stay within the confines of what the plans offering you if you stay within the confines of the plans are offering and you have enough kids to stay in one room if you get multiple rooms it starts right. to become more difficult yeah. but if you've got two kids if you've got three kids and you start and you stay at maybe all-star music um or one of the dvc resorts on cash um then free dining does make sense otherwise like i tell people put that money on a gift card and pay for it separately and you will find you will have leftovers um, but that's kind of the carrot. I think that is the true indicator of if they're hurting for capacity. Do you guys think there's any truth to a rumor? I've heard that if you are on the dining plan, the portions they give you are smaller than if you're not on the dining plan. No, no, no. The dish is a dish. The people in the kitchen don't know if you're on the dining plan or not. True. They don't tell the chef. Watch out for table all dining plan. Dean, dining plan Dean is here. Give him uh, the six ounce filet, not the eight ounce filet. No, that's not happening. Right. Um, what I can say is because since the dining plan came out in 2005, and I was one of the wonderful recipients of the first version of the dining plan in 2005, I think the menus have streamlined. Yes. Um, and simplified and um that is a negative effect, but I didn't know. I don't, I don't think people that are on the dining plan get like second class citizen status. In the sure. Kitchen. I do find the menus at many of the Disney restaurants to be much more limited than even like if you go to a Landry's restaurant at Disney Springs, the Boathouse, for example, or T-Rex. Much oh, bigger. Boathouse. <laughs> Boathouse or honestly, well, I guess Wine Bar George, which is a unique experience, is a very, very limited menu. But overall, there's not too many choices when you go to grand floridian cafe or kona i mean there's plenty for me i could eat almost everything on the menu but it's just not a full menu like you get other places yeah i mean and that's such a, I, I would I, I would like to ask dean it's like when you walk into a restaurant how how expansive do you really expect the menu to be like i kind of expect a beef ish a chicken ish a fish ish maybe a couple vegetarian ish uh, you know, so maybe if there are six main courses, maybe as many appetizers and three desserts, that to me feels like a full menu. And maybe that's... I think it, what Scott might be getting at is that the way Disney's doing it now, it almost feels like a lot of the restaurants have turned to banquet style mm. of true menu restaurant mm -hmm. style. Mm -hmm. um, it feels like, not that they're literally pre-plating those entrees, but 
it's starting to feel that way with the way they've pared down menus. You have some restaurants that had bigger than they, what they offer now, but sure. I, I don't think you're too far off. You know, not every place is going to be the cheesecake factory. Right. So, no place should be the cheesecake factory. <laughs> so you don't need a 23 page menu unless it's, you know, the milkshakes at a particular milkshake shop or something. But um, yeah, no, I, 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 I think I know what, what you're saying like it does feel a little bit more limited and, and i don't know if that's a function of the dining plan or not what you start to worry about with dining plan is does the restaurant that used to serve filet as their steak now go to sirloin mm-hmm. that that's where the downgrades come is more mm-hmm. in the quality or like we were talking about before joking is it no longer an, an eight ounce steak now it's a six ounce steak yeah that's where you start to see cutbacks from dining plan yeah, and, and 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 I actually have seen that where it used to be a fillet, and let's say it was an eight ounce fillet, but now it's a New York strip. And not that a New York strip is bad, it is not a fillet mignon. I'd be okay with that change. I'm good with either. I, I mean, love New York strip. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to I, think of good apple. I my my daughter and I split a porterhouse, so the two of us split the fillet and the New York strip, so we're good. And then we gnaw on the bone because we're carnivores, dinosaurs. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example of a Disney restaurant in the parks or at a hotel that I think has a limited menu. And I have to give it, I guess, I don't know. I was going to say Ale and Compass at the Yacht Club, which I ate at last summer and I enjoyed. It's just not a, I don't, I, I have to research this. This is too, uh, <laughs> But but that's so perfect example of this is Pecos Bills, where you'd think toppings bar would be the easiest thing to keep going, but they have restricted things on the toppings bar and they've limited their menu so that it's now burger, chicken strips and taco salad. That's basically it. Yes. Where they used to have. In addition to those things, they had a hot dog there. So you could put the toppings on that. They had a burger. You could put the toppings on that. You had taco salad. You can get the taco salad with chicken or chili or just vegetarian because you would load it up on the toppings bar. The toppings bar had sautéed mushrooms, had sautéed onions, had cheese, you know, the the, the um, nacho cheese in a in a big pot that you could put in there. None of that is there anymore. And that was there at the beginning of the dining plan. And it may be coincidence, but it's not there now. Good example. Uh, I think I'm also spoiled coming from Northeast, where I go to an Italian restaurant and the menu is filled with every type of chicken or beef imaginable. 100%. And you go to, uh, you know, what's the one at... uh, Tony's Town Square, which I've been to I, on a occasions. I'm never going to. Yeah, I, the last time I went to Tony's, I went to the breakfast buffet, and that no, I'm never going to Tony's again. Um, well, you, you know, it's your, another dumbing down of the menu in a way. I don't know if you saw the change that they did at Olivia's. They always had conch fritters there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's Key West. You're supposed to have conch fritters. Now they have shrimp fritters, and that becomes, I think, just because they can standardize a little more by using shrimp instead of conch. Yeah. Yeah. And that's disappointing. It's like if if you were to go to um, Port Orleans French Quarter and they're not they're not giving beignets anymore. Yeah. All of a sudden they're giving the cinnamon rolls. Not yeah. saying the cinnamon rolls are bad. 
yeah or or, or many well, well not for nothing if if typhoon lagoon no blizzard beach ever gets rid of their mini donuts i'm gonna riot um but you know it's it, it's that's not new orleans right you know and it's nothing against those cinnamon rolls it's not what you need to have the beignets so to that point yeah it's not conch fritters it's shrimp they can order shrimp for the entire resort they can't order conch conch is not being served everywhere shrimp is right Right. let's head over to epcot now talk about harmonious which was announced to be leaving as we're recording this on zoom that is paul's background i see the barges i see the lights it's Quite beautiful in the evening when I see it. Um, I really don't have much to say about this, except for the fact that uh, I was in Epcot when Harmonious was taking place. I liked listening to it. I didn't see it because I was walking to Spaceship Earth. I remember that. And people seem to either hate it or love it. That's been the Twitter world reaction from what I see. Uh, I have a very limited experience with Harmonious, but yeah. I never bothered to stop to watch it. Is that because you had no interest in it or because of the negative commentary associated with the barges? Uh, I had no interest in it. I I, I don't care what other people thought about the barges, not to be rude. Uh, I'll I'll do my own take on whether or not I care about the barges. It was just not a draw to me. Um, I saw a little bit of it like on YouTube and stuff like that, and it just wasn't something I wanted to make a plan around to make sure we went to see. Paul, did you see Harmonious? So I was at the DVC party Moonlight Epcot extravaganza. I don't even know what the thing was called. Um, But they had Harmonious going on while we were there. If I tell you I was more interested in getting to ride Frozen from Ratatouille while it was going on it was nice it was fine um i think the concept was okay i do agree that having these unsightly giant stargates during the day (laughs) was not conducive if they had built the things to and i understand going underwater into the lagoon was probably not an not an option but if they could make them so they can lay down that might have been better i don't know um, it, there probably are multiple engineering issues with that, but I I don't think the issues of it being in the lagoon during the day were worth how great the show could have been at night. And the fact that they were fixed and not on barges like Illuminations led to its more early demise. I can tell you, because I probably won't be going to sleep after we record, I'm going to check out the Harmonious Live that's on Disney Plus because that's going to be leaving soon. Yes. Um, I will check it out because I'm interested in seeing what the show was meant to be. Um, From what I understand, it's awesome when you watch it. But, eh. I mean, I liked Illuminations. I loved Illuminations, Reflections of Earth. I loved the um, Millennium other things like i was actually there in 2000 to see the parade that went through um but yeah eh, like dean said like i'm not i'm not swayed by online opinion i don't care what other people think i like let i like a lot of things that other people don't like right and i don't care 
like what um, you like. That's a good approach. Yeah, I, I like what I like. And I like nighttime spectaculars. Yes. But it wasn't enough to make me stop my walk from France to Norway. <laughs> Put it to that way. It's going on to my right, and I don't care. I'm right. walking straight through. Are you guys disappointed in Disney Plus? No. I was hoping for more original content. When you say more original content, what do you mean by that? Netflix rolls out like 15 new series a day, it feels like. And and not all of them stick, obviously. But I feel like Disney is still riding on a lot of their either... Some of their like produced stuff about backstory, that's great. But not a lot of like brand new drama TV or comedy TV shows or anything like series that you want to jump into and start watching. Other than what they've done with Marvel and Star Wars, I I have one complaint that about Disney Plus. One main complaint, which is that I wish there was more vintage Disney Park stuff on there. I want to see the Walt Disney Television specials. I want to see the old Disneyland TV show. They have a couple of things related to it, but not enough. And that's something I would. I don't understand why it's not on there. I would like to see it on there. Other than that, I'm pleased with Disney Plus. I have the Disney bundle, so I get Hulu and ESPN Plus. Hulu is going to be merging in there anyway. Hulu is going to be going away shortly. In yes, the States anyway. It's already gone away in the world, so that's, yeah. that's coming. Um, but um, look, so Mandalorian... I agree with Scott, and I disagree with Dean. You're allowed to. Yes, I am. Elaborate, please. So there's a ton of original stuff that is, I mean, think of the Star Wars series that have been released between the Mandalorian, Book I'm, of Buffett, competing Star Wars Wars Marvel. Movie, the Marvel, um, if you look at the National Geographic series, um, I'm a large fan of Limitless with Chris Hemsworth. That's kind of Marvel adjacent. But um, that series was not what I thought it was going to be when I started watching it. Um, the behind the scenes of Animal Kingdom is they just released season two. That's great. Um, there are a lot of things that are on Disney Plus that are originals that are not. I feel like Disney Plus. Let me back up. I feel like Disney Plus is really indicative of the it's not for me. Um, there are a lot of things that are released on there that are not for me. There are a lot of things that are released on there that are for me. To Scott's point, I do wish they would put some of that vintage Walt stuff. The True Life Adventures would be fantastic yes. on there. They're not on there. Um, the old um, Wonderful World of Colors, um, if they were to put those on there. Um, I don't know why they don't. I don't know if there's a rights limitation. I doubt it. Um, but you know, when it comes to other things like the originals, I love the Imagineer story. I love the, um, industrial light and magic documentary. Um, I the documentary love... also by the rock, which he produced about the attractions. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and then there are other series that are on there about the attractions that are much more accessible to the younger audience. So it's, um, I can't remember, call, I can't recall the name of the series, but it's like it's it's very much more written for high school students. I know and I feel well, like we're pretty good. The, yeah, it, the they're fine. They're not for us. They're absolutely not written for us. It's written for our children. But after they get hooked by that, then they checked out 
the industrial light magic. Then they check out the imaginary story. Then they check out Howard. Okay, um, so more clearly, I want original television series of a comedy or drama style that isn't centered on Star Wars and Marvel. So I like the show Big Shot with John Stamos, which focused on a girls' basketball team. That's an team. example of it. I haven't but seen that. Okay. It's I being have, pulled have, off the air. It's being pulled off as part that. of this. Uh, right. And by the okay. way, I think this is, personally, I think this is directly tied to the writer strike. I think, Paul, you may have oh, mentioned also in a conversation we had. I, I Yeah, I mentioned I that. I mean, um, you don't watch it now. They don't pay residuals to the writers with the airings of the episodes. It's basically it. Big Shot, I thought, was a great show. It lasted two seasons. It had humor, drama. I mean, similarly with High School, the musical, the series. Good show. That's, that's one of the things that, you know, if you like that world, that's right. fantastic. It's not for me, which is fine. I like the Disney Plus. I think there's a lot of people that want Disney Plus or want Paramount Plus or, you know, whatever it is to be all catered to them. It's too broad for that. Right. Way too broad for that. So, Dean, I, you know, like I said, I disagree with you, but I see your point. Yes. That if you want more series that are written that you can only get on Disney Plus and it's a dramatic or it's a comedy series like what Apple is doing, because I feel like Apple is really running the gamut between comedy, drama, right. sci fi, dystopian, um, you know, uh, lighthearted, not lighthearted. You know, like I just started watching The Silo, not to get into yeah. the stuff we love segment. Um, you know, you started watching Shrink. Right. Uh, I love Ted Lasso. You know, it, it, you know, Apple, I think, is what Dean is looking for from yeah, Disney. I want the Plus. Disney version of that. In a Disney version. Yeah. What I and and again, Diz Twitter is very, 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 very park centric from a Disney perspective. When you think of all of the things that Disney touches, movies, TV, music, theme parks, cruise ship. I have watched that freaking Building of the Wish <laughs> documentary probably 10 times. And I got Nick into it. And he's like, oh, my God, I got to go on the Wish. Um, it, it, That's fantastic. More of that. Right. Yeah. More of that. I would like to see a Disney 100 tab on Disney Plus where when you click it, you get the wonderful world of color. You got the true life adventure. You know, all that stuff. That's that's what it should be. Um, they do have a lot of old old time movies on there as part of their library, but um, Apple TV plus I've listened to others in the industry on podcasts talk about it. I agree with this. That is the gem that is worth every penny. If it's not, and you may already have it included. Not only do they have the shows you mentioned, Paul, they have that brand new Michael J. Fox documentary. They're going to be having that new Scorsese movie with DiCaprio and De Niro that got like a 10 minute standing ovation at the Cannes film festival this year. They won the best picture with Coda a couple of years ago. That's a great movie. It is. It's quality st- streaming service. And yeah. then, of course, there's the sports on there. You got Friday Night Baseball, which I know some people have criticized the announcers, but it's cool technology used See, in the and, game. And I'll go back to, you know, criticizing announcers, but you're going up against announcers from legacy networks that have had 50, 60, 80 years of experience. Yes. Versus, I, yeah, versus a company that has two years experience right i like watching baseball on apple because they give you those real-time statistics that has changed the appreciation i have for the difficulty of the game you know you'll see these these you know each pitch with each pitch what the batter's percentage chance 
of getting on bases and you see it get reduced from a low point already. It makes you realize how difficult the game is. That's just one example of the way they incorporate. Because there's a fine line with that because of what TNT and TBS have been doing with hockey, where they have been using the NASCAR technology of like the pointer and they've got like the player's name hovering above them. Like, come on, you don't need that for the hockey playoffs. Like, yeah, I, I find that distracting. It, that is distracting. But to your point, I would enjoy probably more stat. Baseball is so stat heavy anyway. Yes. That, you know, even even if you were to put up, and I don't know if they do this, predictive stats. Right. In this situation, the pitcher normally throws a curveball. Right. As an Spe- example. Speaking of baseball, there's a player, a pitcher on the Braves Last name Duran, who today threw multiple pitches in excess of 104 miles an hour. Wow. Yes. His name is Nick Duran. <laughs> Nick from and the that's, show. that's holy crow. And that and that's one of the things, too. Like they showed somebody's a bat. There were eight pitches. It was a strikeout. None of the pitches were strikes. Right. But but that's baseball, right? I mean, that's that's the catcher calling the game. That's the pitcher calling the pit throwing the pitches and the batter flailing miserably up at the plate like that's what you that's what you cut me that's what i like i you know i've talked about this before my perfect baseball game is three to one me too i like that yeah big big fan of three to one and it's like you know the three were scored because a guy was on first and he got moved over to third on a pop fly and then you know a deep shot into right that was maybe almost thrown out at home but not my perfect game is a, is a one nothing win where the game is 0-0 and ends on a pitch clock violation. On the ninth? Oh, no. Give me that. The, uh, the Pirates had a pitcher today throw an immaculate inning. Really? He's had nine, nine, nine pitches, pitches, nine strikes. Three, up, three, three down? Yeah. No, no. Immaculate innings, three. Not, Wait, nine three. pitches, three strikeouts. Yeah. That's pretty good. See, I'm thinking uh, three pitches. Each one's a pop fly. <laughs> the Rays beat no, excuse me. The Blue Jays beat the Rays yesterday or two nights ago, twenty to one. Yeah, that was unbelievable. I, that's not baseball to me. That's football. That's I don't know. That's I that's the Bill. That's the Bills beating the Bucks <laughs> with a mixed extra with a missed extra point or two field goals. Um, guys, because uh, the show is going starting to go a little long, but there's other oh. just a couple other things I want to talk to you about. Lake Nona, where much of Disney's Imagineering division was going to be moving. $1 billion headed to the state of Florida in terms of business development. Plug was pulled on that recently. I heard on another podcast, the Diz Unplugged, that 20% of the Disney workforce that was slated to move, um, what I don't, I don't want to actually say this incorrect. It was something about 20% had already maybe, 20% of the workforce that was going to move to Florida had already purchased homes in Florida and now are basically in a tough spot because they're not moving there anytime soon. I think the consensus is, tell me if you guys agree, Disney's not selling this property. Again, this is a politically motivated move that's likely to correct itself in future years. Um, any other thoughts on it? I just think it was worth mentioning because it was a significant story. Announced the same day as the Star Cruiser news. No reaction. I have reaction. I think it was... a. The whole reason that they wanted to move the Imagineering division as a whole to Florida is because of tax breaks. So from a corporate finance perspective, it made sense. 
from a company governance perspective, it did not make sense to move the creative teams away from other creative centers. Yes, Walt Disney World is a crown jewel of theme park development, but the creatives for the intellectual property what goes into those theme parks is centered in Hollywood. It's coming out of movies. It's coming out of TV. It's coming out of those other areas that is being translated into theme parks across the world. And really that should reside in California, which is where those studios are. So when Bob Iger made that announcement, it's a little bit of a rebuke to Bob Chapek for making that decision. Yes, there would have been a tax boon for the company, but it's a creative drain. And it's one of those things, it's a cost benefit. It's like, is it worth the creative drain? And they had Imagineers retire. They had Imagineers leave, go to other companies because they were not going to move to Florida. And to your point, if the Diz Unplugged said 20% of that workforce had already moved, already purchased property, already got kids in school, you know, already started to set up their life in Florida, for Disney to pull the plug, I would imagine that is going to be a short-term hit for a company the size of Disney to say, we'll buy your home and we'll sell it. Because that actually happened to my dad when he would get a corporate transfer. It was it was the company would buy the house and then sell it just to make it easy for the employee. Um, there's a little bit of egg on their face, but I think in the end, it's the correct move to have the creatives near the creatives. Imagineering in Florida doesn't make sense to me. I still think they pulled the political reasons. Oh no, you think they did, Gene? I, I, well. And I think it was I, I think it was purely political, but I also think it was a very convenient scapegoat. That Iger was like, eh, I really don't want imaginary to move. Oh, DeSantis is being a jerk. You're the reason why we're not moving it. Mm-hmm. Don't have anything to add to it. Just want wanted your guys' reactions to it. I think in a transient world, they probably have creative all over. They might report to a particular office. I don't know how much. I mean, some of that job, I think you have to be in the same space. Sure. A creative think tank concept. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, it, it feels like it was very political in nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I personally think just from a, a creative to creative standpoint, if you're going to create an immersive environment that guests are going to walk around in, going to a set is way easier to get in your car and you drive half an hour than if you get on a plane and you fly for eight hours. Right. But if and they were in Florida, they could put them all up in the Star Cruiser. There's rooms available <laughs> after September 28th. Any other Disney news you guys wanted to talk about on tonight's episode? You hit a lot of highlights, Scott. That's a pretty good recap. Yeah, I think we got, that's the major stuff. Uh, well, it's good. I mean, we we touched a little bit on the WGA strike. I do think that a large part of the things that are leaving Disney Plus are because Disney doesn't want to pay residuals. Yeah. To shows that are not performing, quote unquote, top line. Not every show is going to get the eyeballs of The Mandalorian. It's just not. So there's only one Baby the, Yoda. There's only one Grogu. There, there's only one Grogu. Um, and, you know, I 
I think it was an oversight, like I had mentioned before, the documentary Howard about Howard Ashman was going to be pulled before um, Pride Month, which was huge. I mean, you're talking about the guy who wrote the lyrics for most of the songs of The Little Mermaid, which is opening like tomorrow. Right. That documentary was slated to be pulled. So people would go listen to the songs here. Oh, you know, they might go on Wikipedia. Oh, these were all written by Howard Ashman. Oh, there's a documentary about Howard Ashman that I can't see. Right. Um, that was successfully, I think, within eight hours, reversed. Um, and and I think I think it's unfortunate. Um, I think it's a little bit of companies need to realize exactly the responsibility that they might have. That it's not all financial, but some companies are going to hold that better than others. Another great example of that, not Disney, but something I could see the industry moving towards, which the um, Directors Guild fought back hard when HBO Max rebranded to HBO, no, rebranded to Max as a streaming service. They removed individual director and writer credits and made this new credit called Creator, which means nothing. Yeah. So you had a Martin Scorsese movie and everybody was lumped into this creator category, which you already have a writer's strike. The actors, you know, SAG is already considering a strike. You have the Directors Guild of America that's like, this will not stand. Uh, Discovery slash HBO reversed that decision with rapidity today. And they will have credits properly put in there for writer, director, producer, so on and so forth. Not under this creator made up thing. It might seem like a small thing, but if you're looking for Martin Scorsese movies, it made it impossible to find him. Yeah. And that's and that's a well-known name. So let's say it's somebody that's not as well known. That's kind of what they're fighting for. So sure, of I, course. That, I found that fairly topical. And Disney is lumped into that. I mean, there are protesters outside the Disney studio. Yes. Because they're they're just as culpable, like I said, for pulling titles off of Disney Plus so they don't have to pay royalties for shows that are not their top ten performers. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Well, guys, with that being said, that's the Disney news for tonight. And let's turn now to the Stuff We Love segment where Paul, Dean, and I are going to give you a recommendation of something we're enjoying right now. I think we may have heard earlier a brief snippet of what Paul's recommendation is, but let's go around the room. So, Paul, we'll start with you. Go ahead, my friend. Yeah, uh, Apple TV Plus Silo. Um, It's it's basically Snowpiercer, but it's in a tunnel. Um, I'll I'll put it to you that way, but I find it very interesting. Um, The acting is great. It's on Apple TV Plus, like I said. Um, if you have ab- any Apple device and you haven't activated it, I'm pretty sure you get a one month trial. Um, if you have an iPhone or an iPad or what have you. Um, so yeah, check it out. Great recommendation. Uh, Dean, how about you? I am looking forward to something that's starting to return, which is the return of summer game shows on television. And uh, you know, there's a couple of new ones that are coming that I think will one i don't remember the title of it now one of them is about pranking people uh what is that is it the prank 
I'll look it up. Yeah, it's you uh, got to pitch it. You got to pitch the you pitch the prank. Yeah, you basically you get to pitch the prank, and then you know who you want to prank and why you want to prank them, and they help you do the prank. Uh, and I think that's just what I like for dumb summer television. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to shows like that, and and they come back literally tonight. Uh, so my DVR is set for the prank show and then the game show show, uh, which I think I have a little less interest in. But uh, okay. Good recommendation. Uh, for my recommend, good Paul. I yeah, I was just going to add to that. I mean, not for nothing, you got Johnny Knoxville as part of that. I mean, he's one of the king pranksters. I believe Ashton Kutcher is also involved. Right. So that punked. You've got you know you can bleep me, jackass. Mm. No bleep necessary. You cannot top those two from elaborate pranks. So yeah, I, I that that is advertising heavily on Twitter too. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, for my stuff we love, Paul, would you be offended if I also mentioned Apple TV Plus? <laughs> no. So uh, my recommendation is the show uh, Shrinking, which I started with Jason Siegel and Harrison Ford. Uh, it's a comedy drama where Jason Siegel plays a, a therapist. I'm only two episodes in, so I can't comment much about the plot. I'm learning it myself, but I just happen to love the show, and I love the quality of Apple TV+. Plus. I think, to me, they are the ones that are trying to, on a consistent basis, release content that is of a high quality, whereas Netflix, which I'm a huge fan of, sometimes releases stuff where you say, okay, I know this is not necessarily the best thing, but uh, Apple TV+, Plus, I think, is trying to consistently release good good product, and it shows so my recommendation is shrinking, and I would encourage all of you to check out Apple TV Plus. It's my new favorite streaming service. And uh, with that, guys, should we go and do some plugs? Or you want me to do them for you? I think I could do it for you. No, I think we need them. Okay. This is my favorite part of the show. Here we go. So you can follow Paul on Twitter at YoPaulieNJ. You can follow Dean on Twitter at CT underscore Mickey underscore man. Is that right? That is right. Where can we find Butter and Bacon, the podcast that we think is coming back any moment? Uh, it's there. Dean, right? We we paid for another year of um, Libsyn. The Butter and Bacon archive is present on uh, podbean.com, is our host site. Right. Uh, it is available on all your streaming uh, podcast outlets, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I won't even promise a new show, but we, we have a few in the can that could get edited and put out there. They'll be a little untimely. Uh, Very untimely. Yeah. And I've got easily 25 um, bacon bits from Nick. Easily. Well, we love those bacon. We're bits. also on Twitter. On Twitter. Oh, yeah. And yeah, we're, we're often on Twitter. We just don't tweet. Paul, can you tell us where we can find uh, Adventures Out There Travel? Yes, um, there is Adventures Out the Travel, A-I-O-T Travel at on Twitter, but also Adventure Polly on Twitter. Um, and I, I am happy to report one of my guests is enjoying Disneyland as we speak. Wow. Okay. What hotel? A Disneyland hotel. Classic. Yep. All right. So now I'm going to tell our listeners where they can find the Stuff We Love podcast online. This is Paul's favorite part of the show. I hope I don't mess this up. You can find us on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Stuff We Love Podcast. You can find us at Stuff We Love Podcast.podbean.com, where you can find links to all of our prior episodes. We have a Facebook page. We have a YouTube channel. 
And our email address is stuffwelovepodcast at gmail.com, where you can write to us and tell us what your thoughts are about any of the news topics we talked tonight and whether or not you've watched any of these shows we've talked about, whether you've been a contestant on any of the game shows Dean watches, whether you have any winnings you'd like to share with the hosts as a courtesy tip. By the way, guys, let me ask you a question. Speaking of tips, this is this is interesting. Someone said to me the other day, they read an article that the act of tipping now is out of control, meaning that you feel pressure to tip in situations where you never would have had to tip before. You're shaking your head, no, Paul. No, I, uh, I, I, I think that's, I think that's a little bit of a cultural thing that people feel like, and again, it's true. People are not paid for the work that they do, so it's made for, it's made up for in tips. You got somebody that's working in a service industry job that you can pay less than minimum wage. I'm not feeling pressured to make up for it. I'm feeling empowered that you gave me good service. I'm going to give you 25, 30%. Okay. Dean, what's your reaction? I didn't read the article you're talking about, but I've seen this dialogue before. And I think that one of the comments on it was things like during the pandemic, you know, we didn't really go to restaurants, but you had takeout. Yes. Normally you order takeout, you go and you pick up your takeout and you pay the bill and you leave. And now there's, a feeling of pressure to tip on takeout. And I think culturally before most folks didn't tip on takeout saying, Hey, I, I'm going to go home. I'm going to make the mess at my house. I'm going to do all the dishes myself. I came here and picked it up. I'm not tipping you. Um, And I think now people do more, more tip on that. I always did. And I think I, you know, I will continue to do so. Uh, But that's probably again, having not read what you were talking about, I'm going to guess that's sort of the nature of what that was coming from. And right. I don't think tipping is out of control. I think tipping is the right thing to do. It's, uh, yeah, I, I probably said this on your show before. I've definitely said it on ours. Uh, I used to deliver flowers when I was in high school. And mm-hmm. it always amazed me that people would tip the pizza guy, but never the flower guy. Right. Same uh, concept, a delivery person. And it was probably because they didn't order it. So they didn't want to feel like they had to tip. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but, you know, I, I think uh, Paul makes a great point. The the culture is such that folks in those types of industries where tips are typical are getting paid below minimum wage salary. And right. It, it's, uh, it is something that you should do to recognize good service. I like tipping. I think it, it's a feeling of satisfaction when I leave a tip. I'm with you. You should tip your podcaster. Please. 100%. And, and not only that, but the podcast host needs to be tipped. I could use it. <laughs> uh, and with that, let's go around the table one more time. I am Scott. I'm Dean. And I'm Paul. And this has been the Stuff We Love podcast.